Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Happy Haven Podcast with you as always is me, Gnarly Canary. Um, today we had Eric and Julia Luwald, um, showrunners and writers for X-Men the Animated Series, one of the most epic and absolute best cartoons to ever be put out in our lifetime uh, before or since for some of us who may be younger. Um, it was a pleasure to sit down and talk with them absolute dream come true episode love this cartoon and now love these sweet sweet people who brought us such a great show so sit back put your nostalgia hat on and enjoy x-men the animated series So, thank you guys for coming on, like, so much. You have no idea how much it means to me to get to talk to you guys. Well, it's, it's, we're thrilled to do it. Now, we found each other through Twitter, am I right? Yes, ma'am. Kind of how, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, this, is, this is great for us because, as, as you know, when you're writing, for, writing animated television, you tend to you know, just be alone in your office, and it's, it's great to finally, you know, to meet people that have seen your show. Oh. oh, go ahead, ma'am. So by way of introduction, I'm, I'm Julia Leewald. And Eric Leewald. And we, get, we had the privilege of working on X-Men the Animated Series 25 years ago. <laughs> Starting 25. Starting 25 years ago, right. Yes, yes. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, like you were saying about writing for TV, and then it's good to see people who, who you know, enjoyed your show. It was the center of... A ten-year-old me's universe. Um, you know, I, when we had Cal Dodd on, um, I even told him, "I'm like, I other Saturday morning cartoons would come on, and I'd eat some cereal, and then I'd go outside and meet with my friends and play. And then at about ten forty-five, I told him, I was like, you can either come back with me, if not, I'm going alone, because at eleven <laughs> o'clock it's silent in my room. You can watch it, but everybody shuts up." And we, because uh, I was in, Bo I grew up in uh, Boston, so we got it on uh, Fox 64 at 11 a.m. on Saturdays, and it, it was the be-all, end-all of my week. <laughs> it really was. You know, we've been hearing from more folks and, and kind of reminding people that back 92 to 97 when it ran, there were three major networks, and Fox was the upstart looking to become a national network at that time. And... You may have a couple syndicated in your neighborhood, like in Boston. But Saturday morning, there was the, the, the kids' animation morning block on all three major networks, and Fox was determined to plant a flag there. And nowadays, here we are 25 years later, no more major networks have any Saturday morning programming. And yeah. Fox is a major network now. They're considered one of the, top, one of the yeah. big ones. And no Saturday morning kids' blocks anymore. So even that appointment viewing for kids... No one has that experience these days, which is kind of sad, I think. It was, it was so cool when we started researching this book that we're working on. It's coming out later this year about, about the show that there were times when it was those four networks and cable TV was just starting to get started that X-Men would get half the households watching TV in the country. They'd get like a 53 share or something of all the TVs that were on in the U.S., not just is, the kids' TV. That is just so cool because that means that the entire country was sharing something. 
which exactly yeah nowadays not much you know maybe five percent will watch a big you know a hit and so that was that's but that has been very gratifying to know that 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 whatever we worked six months on making half the country is is enjoying and talking about uh, at the schoolyard the next day or on monday i mean i dare say that um you guys and Batman the Animated Series were the reason why there's a Marvel Universe and a DC Universe today for movies. Because, I mean, we read the books, we did the trading cards, I had the action figures. But once those cartoons hit, people who weren't into it, who didn't get into it the way I did, they got brought in. And it put it front and center in pop culture consciousness. Um, If you guys had... There was no way to cast that cartoon any more perfect... Um, the scripts were comic perfect, um, and thank you guys when you worked on it, honestly, for not placating us as children. You told us good stories, and it, 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 it spoke, I think, to an entire generation of children, because it was finally a story that we liked that didn't treat us like children. We always, we have that fight, we've been working in this business 30 years, and we have that fight constantly. We just want to tell Pete, you know, the executive is just... They get anxious. They don't know what. They never know what's going to work. And their knee-jerk reaction is, "Well, if our primary audience is this young, you got to really dumb it down and simplify it for them, or or you'll confuse them, or freak them out, or turn them off." And we just want to shake them and say, "Don't you remember being ten? Don't you remember watching your sixteen-year-old brother love something and want to watch that?" And if it was something that was for little kids, you probably would eh, you'd turn your nose up at it. But every little kid's aspirational. They want to be challenged. And it's just nine out of ten shows we get to work on, they don't let us write to that level because they have their marketing people have some idea that their merchandise will sell better if you dumb it down. And we we've never bought into it. And to their credit, the Fox people then Margaret Lesh and Sidney Iwander, who were in charge, who were the president and the like, the hands-on person from the network, was there. They were in charge. They were creatively in charge, and they not only let us do this, they encouraged us and pushed us to do this. So it was like, it was great for us, and we want to give them all the credit because the same, you know, talented people have worked on other shows, and you wouldn't know it just because. They're not allowed to, to write like that. Because they're so hand-bound, but yeah. I mean, opening episode, you see, I mean, I know it got revisited later, but opening episode, you see the death of an X-Men. Yeah. You yep. know, the Sentinels come down and you see the death of Morph. And, you know, finally, l- let a kid see that, you know, th- it, it is a struggle that you do fight for good and evil. And it was good to see a real fight for good and evil in the, in your opening salvo to the series. And so Eric can speak to this, but with, with the morph character and that decision, it, it, it was specifically, we, if we're going to show that this is life and death and these are big stakes, you know, we have to show a consequence. We have to show a consequence or else it's just, you know, people batting at each other and then returning the next week to, you know, batting, playing, playing at play it. acting at it. And yeah, it's G.I. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Lasers everywhere, but everybody lives because of parachutes. Yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, we, we, uh, and in fact, we ended the first season and were done and with it and had assumed he was going to be dead. We, we'd really fought. It took a, a number of weeks to convince the network, let us do this. 
we did it. We were, it worked great. And then, of all things, uh, just before they started the second season, which was not a given, they, they didn't think it was going to be successful, um, most people out here, which is hard to imagine now. But just before we started the second season, or just as we were starting it, we got a note that they that they'd done an interview with a bunch of kids that watched the show, and they asked who their favorite character was, and they, the kids said more. And so that it wasn't it was in our plan. The probably younger group of kids, but fans wrote in saying, "Please bring him back." Now you see, my theory is is two things: it's, he was he was funny, he, he was funny, and we were told that the other characters thought he was funny. Wolverine saying he makes me laugh, and right. then. The, the fact that we made him lovable so that right. everybody would grieve for him. And he was Wolverine's best friend. He was Wolverine's best friend. And so we made him the most sympathetic character in the whole team before we killed him. And I think what that did was, is that made, made viewers love him and want him to come back. So that's, that's how oh, it, it totally worked. Cause <laughs> I mean, at having, like I said, having known the books before the show, even as a kid, I've always read comics. Um, I've talked about it in other episodes that I had a paper route at eight. How old am I? I actually had a paper route unsupervised at eight, and I could buy all the comic books I wanted. So I was already heavily invested when I was 10 or 11. No, it's 92, so you're talking 11 to 12. So I'm going almost in high school Ending middle school with nobody really knowing except for a few kids because the nerds hadn't won the culture war yet. Correct. Which we did. But, you know, I had a few friends. We had our sleeves of Marvel trading cards. We had our action figures. We had our books. And as heavily invested in the Wolverine character as I was, it really did affect me to see, like, the loner had a friend and he lost the friend. Mm-hmm. You know, like... I loved his reaction to Cyclops when Cyclops had yeah. to make the team leader decision. Yeah, yeah. And, the, you know, you do that again, and then the claws come out. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that was, that was all, a lot of that, um, I think it came from the guy that, that co-wrote, laid out the first 26 episodes with me, a friend of mine from college, and we loved, we grew up loving, uh, named Mark Edens, we grew up loving uh, heroic, stories and we weren't that big comic book geeks but we were big heroic story geeks and so we very consciously would uh push that element of it and and the emotion of it and also it wasn't live action it was a movie we couldn't show an awful lot of violence or adult things so we tried to crank up the emotions as far as we could and so we wanted to break Wolverine's heart, the first, you know, the first story, and, and I think it worked. It really did. I was going to ask, like, how did you I, – I got off because I'm, I'm a giant X-Men nerd, so I got off and talking to you guys about all the stuff we've been talking about. I forgot to ask for the audience who maybe isn't as into it or didn't get to watch it as a kid, maybe my younger audience. Yeah. Um, how did you guys end up working on, on X-Men? You know, it uh... – <laughs> it's it's funny how how roundabout these things are and and how how crazy they um you know one one phone call one way or the other and 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 it would have bounced a different way for either one of us yeah. um eric and i met um at disney tv animation uh, just a couple of years before 
yeah. three or four years before. Yeah. Writing that, for Chippendale Rescue Rangers. And, oh, my God. And, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Darkwing Duck and things like that. That's where mm-hmm. we remember. Winnie the Pooh. There was, yeah. there was a big staff of writers there. It was a great place to work for a couple of years. Yep. Yeah. And then we were out freelancing. And the way that we got the gig that – I mean, I mean, I, it started with me, me getting the gig, and she ended up writing for us when she could. Uh, was that um, Sydney Iwander, the executive, the, the executive at Fox, um, for nine months? I'd worked with him on uh, as a development guy back in the mid '80s, and we uh, worked for a place called TMS and sold a show called Galaxy High, which was, eh, you know, okay. But I'd worked with him then, and then. For about nine months, I did uh, a season of Beetlejuice for them. Because Beetlejuice had moved over to the Fox Kids Network. From ABC. And they, That's right. And they wanted to change it. They wanted it to be a little darker and edgier. And so Sydney remembered me, her, gave me a, had me do a sample script, and they loved it. And so, so I did a year of that for them uh, after Disney, and then a couple small jobs in between. And then when it came time to say, well, who's going to be – supervising the writing for X-Men. Which we don't know was going to work. Yeah, which we hadn't even heard about, that the show was going to happen. Sydney pushed for me, and Margaret agreed because she'd like my Beetlejuice script. So the night before (laughs) everything started, and there's a meeting with Stanley and Haim Saban and all the people, you know, some people that are going to be producing this thing and that all know X-Men for 20 years. I get the call the night before saying, night before. Eric, you're going to be in charge of writing, uh, writing in the X-Men. <laughs> well, you know, guys, okay. I don't know them very well. You know, I, I, I read Spider-Man and Fantastic Four when I was an adolescent. Um, it, can somebody help before tomorrow morning? <laughs> so I got thrown in the deep end and had to learn. And luckily, half the people involved are big X-Men geeks. The, the producers and designers and everybody who became close friends, they knew they knew their X-Men backwards and forwards, and I learned it very quickly. But the morning that it all started, I was just sitting there keeping my mouth shut and, and, and not saying anything, because if they'd asked me how I was going to lay the show out, I wouldn't have had a clue. It's 1992. <laughs> you get the phone call that night because he had been asked to come in to talk about a different project. Okay, fine. The call comes that night. No, we're switching that. We want you to come in for X-Men. 1992, that phone call at night, we can't go online and Google it. There's anything. no internet. There's no internet. It right. Yet. Comic book shops were closed at that hour. There was no way to go out and find anything at that. So really it was like, well, hon, good luck tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll call a couple friends and get some get some details on this. But that was the thing we had. And there were, there were not very many... Uh, if you wanted to see the old books, you'd have to go buy old copies because there weren't that many. Uh, in 92, there were very few compilations available. Yeah, or the annuals, they didn't have yeah. them yet. So I just, yeah, trade paperbacks were like on yeah, yeah, back it, then. It just wasn't there. So there was, it, was a seri- it was a quick learning curve. Uh, so you want to get the box? No, of no, okay. right. But anyway, uh, one of the things that was available, there's the Marvel Universe book, which was really helpful, was like a dictionary. You know, yep. it, it told all about who everybody was and what the relationships were and what they'd done to each other. And I, I got a copy of that. And then there was a, a game that had the, the Blackbird and the Max Mansion all laid out and a list of the characters and what they did. It was, it was a it was a, a board game or you know, a tabletop, tabletop game that folded. I had it. 
Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was my first research material for doing the show. Was, wow. Was looking at that and digging through that, and then the producer sent me a copy of, of the universe, and so I, I had all the details of who everybody was, and I got a sense of their character, but there were no other TV shows to watch. There were, there was just so there were no movies. You know, reading books. Yeah, there were no movies made, so. It was just, it was quick, it was quick work, and us focusing on the stories and having a lot of support people, like people, great people at Marvel, uh, who I'd ask, you know, would Wolverine do this, would Storm do this, would, you know, who would, you know, I, I, I need somebody to get, for Wolverine to get mad at here, who in the Marvel Universe would be the best? And we Cyclops. Yeah, right. Right. We go back and forth as fast as we could, but again, it was... Phone calls and faxes. And there, and at this point, Marvel was based in New York. Yeah, so we're 3,000 miles away. If you had a question yeah. on a Friday night, Marvel offices were shut down until Monday morning. We could fax something, and there were some folks you could call. But if they needed to send you materials, I remember no. they would photocopy. They would go in their files. They would photocopy a few issues, black and white, and, and snail mail them out to you. So, so if, I needed something, if I needed something, it would take a week to get it in black on the black and white. And so it was not... And of course, it's TV, and we hit the ground running, and okay, you're already behind. Boom, 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 move fast. And uh, it was really just we were just all writing as fast as we could, and and hoping for the best, <laughs> and trusting this group of seven or eight people that were kind of the core of it to keep us on you know on the right path as far as the canon went, because we knew how to write stories and we knew about heroics, but. We didn't know the X-Men when we started. And obviously we learned them, but um, there were some good, you know, Will Mineo was the, in, in charge, was like the supervising producer. Larry Houston, who's a big X-Men fan, uh, was the director and was supervised all the storyboards. And so those guys, every single little thing we did, they'd get copied on and I'd get responses from. So I was really, wow. I had a great support world. As, as as I learned this, and by the time we did it a uh, season, I felt like I was I was an ex geek like anybody else. But that first couple months, man, it was it was scary. But if I can jump, I'll tell you what, to y'all's credit, uh-huh. we never noticed. Oh, <laughs> we never noticed. Any of us could get involved with that show. Just just as a sort of aside to what he said about at the by the end of that first season, it's like okay, got our feet wet. You know what you're doing. At that time, um, the good folks at Fox Kids had the team in place, but no one had been signed on for a second, third, or fourth, or fifth season. No one had expected the show to go beyond that. So when when they realized at Fox Kids that this was, this was a big hit for them, they looked around and everyone had scattered. We don't go on other on other jobs because it, you know, wow, you were finished writing in July. So we're freelancers. So you go and to the it next becomes year. a hit in January. And so they, we hear these frantic calls, like, uh, guys, I said, well, we're, we're finishing up ExoSquad over here at Universal. Um, you sure you need... Every cartoon you say <laughs> makes me happy. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, as soon, as soon as we were finished with the first group of 13 scripts, Will Minio and I and the Edens brothers, who were the main writers, all went over and set up ExoSquad at Universal, and we spent four months doing that. I made sure not to be committed to that beyond those four months. And when X-Men got picked back up, I was able to come back. But Will and the two Eden's brothers, who are 
the great core of the writer of X-Men, they couldn't officially come back. They actually did a lot of work under the table, and they helped us set up the second season. But they were, in fact, stuck finishing the 52 episodes of Exosquad before they could come back and do more writing for us. Wow. See, okay, so I know everybody that's listening, I said X-Men, but could we circle back to friggin' Chippendale Rescue Rangers and Darkwing Duck? Oh, my God. You're looking at the woman here that wrote that has more uh, Rescue Rangers credits than any other writer. She had 14 credits out of the 65. I only had four. One of the best cartoons of my childhood, honestly. I still have the first video game that I run on an emulator on my computer, and when I'm stressed out... I literally load up Chippendale Rescue Rangers and just play the crap out of it. Oh, my God. And I understand. We're, we were at some some con kind of event. It looks like they're coming out with the rebooting the, those games into a contemporary system. That's all I can Yeah, think. it's called the Disney Afternoon, and it's all it's um, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers 1 and 2, Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, <laughs> and um, a part 1 and 2 of another game. Oh. But yeah, they're putting that whole block together. I mean, let's get dangerous was like one of my. <laughs> oh, that's what I said before I jumped things on my bike and you know ended up having to go to the emergency room. Oh my god! You know, I, I want to. There is plenty of credit to go around to everyone, but I want to give specific credit here to a fellow named Tad Stone. Yeah, he hired us both. Yeah, yeah. he's wonderful, <laughs> and he and he made that show as as good as it was, and most of those shows. The, the the high quality is due to Tad Stones. Mm-hmm. But he was. I know, but I mean, stressful day at school, and the first thing you could think of is, I got to get home, box of Teddy Grahams, fill a bowl with Teddy Grahams, glass of milk, sit down, and then sometimes some, and you're like, there it is, I'm happy, and then the whole <laughs> afternoon was just Disney greatness. I tell you, those three so. years when um, and the when I when I got when I finally got my foot in the door. And, and got in at, at Disney TV Animation, uh, and it was it was magical. It was you know you'd have to use some dynamite to blow me out of there just because working on these shows with that that group of people, and by that I mean the artists and the writers who who were there because Disney Afternoon was kind of a new thing. They weren't you know the Disney block. They were like oh, we're, we'll see if this will work. We're not sure we want it to work, but we'll try. And then the quality of the product that they turned out and what the product was. I mean Chip and Dale for God's sake, yeah. you know. And yeah, all all those shows, and and it was weird. They staffed up big to where there were like thirty of us writing there, mm-hmm. and then they decided, well, at, at some point, we do not need this big of a staff. Uh, we're not going to, and so just basically let everybody go. Well, but it was of them. technically it's, wow. We had three year contracts typically, yeah. and technically at the end of those three year contracts, people just weren't being not not everyone yeah, was being renewed. Cause. They weren't fired. It's just they decided, okay, we're going to downsize and, and let yeah. right. people go as they go. And that was, but so it was a, it was a magical time for us to be yeah. in this big building full of all, you know, a hundred talented artists and 30 talented writers. And it was just, it was a great place to have a steady job. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I bet. After, everything else after that has been, has been freelance. Yeah. So you do it for a little while. And then like with X-Men, well, you're not guaranteed any more work. You're going to have to go out and sell yourself again the next week. Mm-hmm. At Disney, we had this long-term deal. I thought it was, it was wonderful. And that's where we met. Our offices were side yeah. by side. So, you know, very. Oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. Can I ask an insider question? Sure. Please. We can try and answer. Was it intentional with Chippendale and Rescue Rangers 
that one looked like Magnum PI and the other one looked like Indiana Jones. Yes. Yes. Woo! <laughs> I knew it. Good for you. You caught it. You caught it. That was I did. intentional. And it, I remember at one point, big debate about how fluffy Chip's collar was going to look, you know, for the Indiana Jones look, because it was a matter of how they're going to animate it, you know. Uh, it, oh, yeah. So, yeah, yes, but you are correct. So there you go. Big secret, yeah. folks, reveal. You, Man, called got it. It. You, you called it. You called it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is like Christmas for me. So it's between X-Men and then that, like, one flowed into the other, like Disney okay. Afternoon, and then as I got older, X-Men and Batman the Animated Series, and it was, wow. You mentioned something earlier, and I, want, I just want to circle back to it, because the point yes, I try to make as often as I can, you said that, you know, between Batman, the Animated, and X-Men, those kind of, and granted, Batman films had been out in advance of this, there were, you know, before. Oh, right. One really. Yeah. But in terms of what is now a genre, like superhero genre, versus in the old days there were westerns, you know, superhero wasn't a genre until the last 16, 17 years. I, I'll mm-hmm. take it to the grave that the X-Men comics existed and the X-Men movies make billions of dollars, but without X-Men the animated series, I don't think it would have flowed into the other. I, it's the bridge. No. X-Men is the bridge that made the movies possible. And, I, and that's what I said earlier. You guys are responsible yeah. for... You know, all these young people that get to grow up not knowing the the desert and drought that those of us who loved these things had, that when an X-Men the Animated Series came out, it really was life-changing for us because nobody was thinking about bringing us these characters seriously outside of books. Yeah. And then to see it on TV and to, and to hear them voiced, yeah. you know. Like, but, 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 yeah. But, yeah, but like you said, like the the legacy of all these movies – Okay, Hugh Jackman can get all the credit for Wolverine. In my head, no. It's, <laughs> I'm the best at what I do. It's, I, you know, Cyclops is Cyclops from the show, is the Cyclops I've read yeah. for 20-something years now. You know, their voices from the show are my X-Men, inside, like who I am, you know? Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll love, you'll, if, when you get a chance to read the book, which we think is going to come out in September or October, uh, yes. uh, about the making of it, you read about the casting, and that was there were about half a dozen things during the first year. Of the uh, well, we're getting not getting the working the, the kinks out of it, where we did a first run of casting for the for the pilot that you liked so much, and we got the tapes back because they did it in Canada. So again, we're two thousand miles away from from where we're where they're recording it. We get it back, and they're awful. It's, I mean, they're they sound like Scooby Doo. Because that was the animation because, market. Yeah, and it wasn't that they were right. bad actors. We ended up using some of the same actors. But somehow we didn't get it across that this was going to be a very different kind of show. Uh, oh, God, this is going to be so awful. So then they started looking for really dramatic actors on purpose. People like Charles Xavier and Magneto were primarily like Shakespearean stage actors in Toronto. The theater. So, so they went back and they oh, we did it, we did it, we did it. And they were looking for people, and they couldn't. They hadn't found the right Wolverine yet. And Kel Dodd walks in. This, he'd never done a voiceover, never done a, a TV show. He'd done jingles. He'd done, like, buy your Chrysler at Toronto. And he's just, <laughs> yeah. He was, yeah. And he was a jazz singer, so he told you all that. And he walks in, and sit, and Sydney tells, Sydney, I want to tell him that the character's kind of feral and wild. And Kel growls, and he does a Wolverine growl. And everybody in the sound booth just went crazy and said, "We've got, we've that's our Wolverine." The growl did it. 
It was, he sold it in five seconds. <laughs> yeah, you should have seen my face when, when I had the, the episode with him. Uh-huh. Hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move for a second. But when they did the episode uh, with him, and he was talking about that, and he said the first lines they had me read was, was uh, probably Jubilee character being bullied by somebody. Yeah. And he was like, and, you know, they gave me all the inspirations, and I didn't know who Wolverine was, and I'd never acted. So I was thinking about how I hated bullies growing up, you know, that, and that's what Cal said. And then I just read the line, like, you want to pick on somebody, bub? And as soon as he did that, you should, I, like, basically fell out of camera because I was like, oh, you know. Um, but he had, the, the the connections made for that show are so crazy. So the, the, the actress who ended up being Jubilee, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if Cal ever told you, but she grew up in the same neighborhood as him as a child. Right. And he was on the show Circus. And she used to sit outside of his house and wait for him to come home to see if he was in costume. And on Halloween, she'd wear the costume and she'd bring her friends. So she looked up to him. He was kind of a hero to her. And then you look at their relationship on the show where Jubilee looks up to Wolverine and he's a hero figure to her. And, like, he was talking about that. Like, she grew up two doors down from me. Right. And here she is playing a character that I take under my wing and take care of and that she, you know, so... Insane. And we, we also heard that uh, from folks that at the very at the end of the season rap parties that that Cal was was very not not he was very protective of her because she was so young at that time, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At these various events, you know, and, and it, so it really was a, a genuine friendship, a genuine relationship. And, an, so and an, older, an older guy, younger girl, protective yeah. like older brother kind of protective relationship. Exactly. Uh, which is just, yeah, which is too cool. And. And obviously it, come, it comes through. Well, you're talking about hearing the voices. We even, I was talking to Bob Harris, who was who's currently the editor-in-chief at DC and at the time was head of all the X-Men books at Marvel and was my contact for everything X-Men. And he became editor-in-chief there. So he's like the major guy. He knew all the X-Books. He'd been been working for Marvel forever and, and, and you know, knew every, every scene that was ever done. And he even said it was magical when he went into the sound booth and was asked to come and, and join them and listen, because they said, "Well, I've been I've been reading these these characters for 25 years, but I don't know what they sound like. I have images in my head, maybe, but until some until it's recorded, I don't." And then he said, "These sound that that when someone like Cal read, he said, I just knew it." He said, I hadn't heard Wolverine, anyone do Wolverine before or do, do it right, but when he read it, I, that's, yes, that's what I've been reading for 25 years. But how odd it is for writers or editors to suddenly have people voicing their characters. And voicing them. Exactly. And, and being the voice of the characters, becoming the voice of the characters, making it authentic for them, making it real. So that's, that's pretty, pretty remarkable, pretty amazing yeah. there. If they I did. Put- they sounded in my head just. I mean, Cyclops. The, the, look how confident and authoritarian I am as I lead this team. But you can tell underneath that he's he'd rather have the professor doing it. And Jubilee being the teenager of like, why is this even happening to me? I didn't ask for these powers, and now all this stuff is happening. And then, you know, Gambit. You you, you read them, and and words words can paint a picture. You know, what when when they try to handwrite the Cajun dialect. But hearing him say, you know, are we going to go out on a day tonight? Yeah. To, to Rogue, and then she's got that southern antebellum accent. 
which may inform why I married a Georgia girl, because <laughs> she has that antebellum accent, and I've always got my, my rogue. I always <laughs> call her my rogue for that, and, you know, like, they did. They breathed so much life in, and that shows ability to teach a generation about right and wrong, about why it's important to stand up for causes, and about how even if somebody doesn't agree with your cause, you still would go to the ends of the earth to defend them anyway. Um, because inherently people are good and deserve protection. Like that, that show taught a whole generation of us really morality and right and wrong in a way that we wouldn't associate it as an adult lecture where we wouldn't write it off, where it was something that it instilled in us instead of us listening to it. It was something that became a part of us. You know, so, I mean, it was way more important than a really good cartoon for a lot of us, honestly. Oh, I appreciate hearing that. Very much so. It means a lot. Yeah, it does. It, it turned does. me into an anti-bully. Well, I mean, you know. For what it's worth, <laughs> it, was, oh, it was a half-hour cartoon on Saturday morning, but every one of us took it seriously. Writers, you know, everyone up and down the line, we, we would say, it's a half-hour animated drama. You know, it, it, it could be live action in, in our heads. It's like we were writing as, as, as best we could, you know, as, as as well as we could. It was a cartoon, but the characters all mattered to us. The the stories all mattered to us. We, you know, again, we took it seriously, and and grateful to hear that it paid off. You know, that you that you thought. Well, you guys did tell us stories. One of the only cartoons previously. Yeah. Oh, previously I, on X Men. By the way. By, by the way. Just just you'll know. <laughs> We just had, we just worked this out with our publisher because we had, the book was going to have a have a more more generic. Oh, let me let me just put a pin title. in this. I don't know, Jason, if we if we spoken with you earlier online or anything about the fact that one of the reasons we're having this conversation is because Eric here uh, we realized the 25th anniversary is coming up, and just by the mm -hmm. dumb luck of the draw, we happened to have kept all the scripts, all the storyboards, all the memos, all the stuff in our garage. Oh my God! Stick. He pulled them out, and he has written a book about the making of X Men: The Animated Series that will come out August, September this year. September, October. September, October it's, this year. It's stretching. <laughs> but the title for the book is, and I'll let him make the big reveal here now. Yeah. Drum roll, please. It, it, it used to be just like uh, the making of X Men: The Animated Series, just something kind of generic to hold it in place. Yeah. While it was but go. now the the name of the book is previously on X Men. The yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but it, it, it let us know we were telling a story. Every other cartoon was like, how do we keep them in seats and make them want to buy toys for 24 minutes minus commercials? Uh, next episode will be extremely random. Da -da. <laughs> this was like, for those of us who liked comics, it was an extension of a universe that we already love. So the, the previously on X-Men actually meant a lot more than just a, hey, this is the thing we did last episode. It was the, that's right, the Shi'ar came down and <laughs> X is falling in love with their queen. And with, I mean, you guys did so much. You went to the friggin' Savage Lands. Like, <laughs> nobody knew what the Savage Lands were. It, it, it was, yeah, I mean, and the Shi'ar and the... Your, your fearlessness in, in doing the actual X-Men storytelling, not just the, oh, here's Magneto, here's some Sentinels next week, here's Juggernaut, here's some Sentinels next week, here's Mr. Sinister, here's... No, you guys did, like, the deep stuff that we loved. The Savage Lands, the Shi'ar Empire coming... I mean, it was... So when you say you didn't know much about it, 
That's why none of us knew, because <laughs> it was stuff that only those of us who loved it would have recognized on the spot. So, I mean... There is, there is one individual who, needs, who deserves all the credit for those glorious previously on X-Men oh, yeah. little intros, because those are all... I mean, some, someone had, had, to build to, those. Had, to build, had to sit down and cut those pieces together to make it coherent for the episode you're going into with the pieces from the stuff before. And that woman is a woman, an editor for the show, and her name is... Uh, Sharon, Sharon Janis. Sharon and Janice. she was working at Sabat, and she just happened to... She loved she loved the books, uh, and she... A lot, a lot of cartoons were really kind of slow and padded at the time, but she got the speed. The energy. She got the energy, and she got the kind right. of... Rock, you know, Sydney said, we want garage band energy on this show. We want to go boom, 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 boom. And it helped because the animation was kind of, you know, it, it was hit and miss versus something like Batman, which you could just look at and it was beautiful. Glorious. And it could play out slowly. It had not move fast. So Sharon had a real talent for cutting those 10 seconds previously on X-Men and boom, 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 and picking out the right stuff. Because I, you know, I didn't go through with her until I need a second of this and a second of that. She decided that stuff mostly. She and she and the producer with her. And a bit of an insider's bit thing here that found out when talking with her uh, that she took that task upon herself and was able to sort of sell it to them by saying, "Look, this is ten seconds of animation. You don't have to pay for because it's already done. So let me do this. Let me do yeah. this to make the show." She didn't better. want to let her do it because <laughs> oh, that's extra hours you're working. So let me, do, you know, I'll, I'll do okay. that. I just want to charge you extra for it. So she pushed to do it. Like our, you know, our creative people wanted her to do it, and and so it was because it was the first time, at least as far as our research indicates, that there had been a kids an animated show that that did continuations that versus the occasional standalone two parter. This one, yeah, that first know, year it was basically we basically had a, this was like a like a, a prime time drama. We wanted it to go all the way to the end, and they just don't let you do it in kids shows and. It, it, it actually caused a little trouble because we had some production problems overseas. Oh, and that's God. why one of the reasons it, it premiered in January instead of September, um, it was supposed to premiere in September along with Batman. And there were various production problems and there was, their budgets were short. And so Smart Fox said, look, we'll tease it in October and give, show a couple episodes. But until they're all ready and they're all right, we won't put this on the air. We'll save it for January and have it come in mid-season. And that, that cost them hundreds of thousands, lots of money. It really did to make that decision. But it just wasn't, it just wasn't in good enough shape to premiere in September. And the thing was it had been pre-sold to all the Fox affiliates as a show starting in September yeah, your, as a one-two punch oh, Batman. Yeah, your TV 64 was probably calling and said, I have, to show, I have to show reruns for four months? What the hell's going on here? You know. But right. the genius that Margaret Le- Margaret Lesh had a Fox Kids. The genius was, and then in taking those lemons and making lemonade, saying, "Kids, there'll be a special sneak peek on Halloween night on a show you'll you've never seen before." And then in prime time. In prime time. And then also knowing, planning to roll it out in January. By January, everything else back in '92 was in reruns. By then, X Men was the only was first fresh run, new. fresh new show on kids right. morning at that time. And so, so it started out that first week at number one, but nobody had done that before. And so all of these people that were nervous, whose money was involved, were giving this poor woman all sorts of crap. Saying, and, and she just kind of held her ground and said, "No, we're not showing it until it's right." 
And so that's that's how that's so, how that happened. Again, all credit to Margaret Lesh, who who may who who interestingly enough, you mentioned that you you came in at the ten, eleven year old age to hit X Men as it came out. She had been an executive at Marvel for a number of years. Marvel Productions. Marvel Productions, and for ten years was banging on the doors of the different ABC, NBC, CBS. I've got the hottest property. It'll make the best kids show. No, it's a comic book. We don't yeah. get it. Yeah, no, like it'll, it. be, it'll be a bunch of guys in their basements. It, no, we won't sell any. Kids yeah. aren't going to watch it. Kids aren't going to watch X-Men. Ten I hate that. You know, I've never sat in a basement <laughs> to read a comic book. It's too dark. It's musty. It'll ruin the pages. Whenever you hear somebody call somebody into comic books a basement dweller, yeah. just know it would never happen. That humidity would destroy our books. Good We'd book. never be able to keep them. But, <laughs> so for ten years, she could not get a, get a, anyone to buy it. it. But then the fates intervened and Fox network came into being and she was tapped to become the head of fox kids and one of her first priorities because fox kids came out i want to say 89 88 so they mm-hmm. 90. 89 90 i was a fox kids club member oh, i had a card and everything oh. so you got yeah exactly <laughs> so so it, it yeah, starts well, up yeah. and they, they have to hit the ground running mm-hmm. and they don't they're, they're only on half a day you know the network's only half, half a day and they got to distinguish themselves and this woman is so smart she said we're going to make more spectacular, edgier shows, and and get people's attention. And, and Batman and X Men were were the X Men and Batman were the first two choices. And yep. boom, there you went. There you go. There you go. So if she'd had any bit more luck ten years earlier, you might not have have found this show as as a, as a baby. Yeah. But um, the fact that it played out the way it played out, here you are. So there you go. Yeah, it all there came together. Go. We were really, mm-hmm. you know, lightning in a bottle. We were really lucky. Everything. You know, the, the, the stars all aligned for us. Yeah. yeah. They sure did. And I'm very fortunate that they did uh, on my end as, as the viewer and, and, the, and the fan. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, because um, you know, I've talked to other people, not, not on the episodes, and I may actually dedicate an episode to um, the phenomenon of the death of the Saturday morning cartoon. How much of an... I mean, there's Cartoon Network and there's Boomerang and there's this... Yes. And they run cartoons 24 hours a day. But because they're 24 hours a day, for me, now, I'm not going to take away from kids who love their cartoons oh, yeah. today, but for me, there's so much lost compared to the shows that we got yeah. in the 80s and the 90s and what, what I consider drivel and noise, which is what's put out today because it's, it's almost, it, it, they're almost too frantic and too loud to, to, to be relevant because they're run 24 hours a day. Well, and there's you know it's there's no community created of, in, in because of the way you can watch anything you want anytime you want versus yep. like you said you had to be there at eleven o'clock Saturday morning or have a parent who would let you program the VCR good luck with that you know or you had, if you had one in the afternoon you know and then the next day that was what you talk about that was your water cooler conversation when you were a kid these are the things that you could share with other kids and and that's it's a different game these days I don't think they have the same kind of common language that that kids growing up with these shows had and that's a sadness i think for me i can tell you in middle school the friends i had in middle school were because of stuff like that um you know uh you'd get out in the afternoons or even during recess and when you'd have you'd either say who wants to play x-men as as yourselves or with your action figures, or you know the kid would find you while you were sitting with your trading cards, but you know other kid and I had baseball cards and stuff because I mean I, 
I, I liked a little bit of everything as a kid. I liked mm-hmm. to play sports, but I was a super nerd on, on the other end of the spectrum. Um, never a jock. I, I liked baseball, but people who played sports I never really got along with because there's a weird attitude that comes with a lot of that. And, and I didn't like it, but on the other spectrum, I was a super nerd and proudly a super nerd. I think in middle school I still had a G.I. Joe lunchbox and did not care what they thought about it. Um but yeah, there's there there is definitely a community that that was built around it, and I don't see that a lot today. If you look at at um, a lot of the conventions and a lot of the pop culture stuff, everybody seems to be looking backwards, yeah, and and, and mimicking things that they loved from back here. There's not a lot of forward adoration for things, and I think you guys did put together something magical at a time when it was allowed to be magical, yeah. you know, honestly. Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with that. Going even back further, one of the things when Eric and I met at Disney, uh, we saw each other. I grew up in Texas, and you grew up in Tennessee, and not quite old enough, but old enough that when I, for me running home in the afternoon was watching Star Trek, the original, on um, our local channel 39. Yeah, in syndication. In syndication, and I was a huge, mm-hmm. and remain a huge Star Trek yeah. geek. I, I remember where I was in September 1966 because there was this incredibly strange new show that, that I saw an episode of, and we were just about to move somewhere, and so I didn't see it for the rest of the year, but I said, what was that? The salt monster. <laughs> uh, 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 so, so, yeah, we... we uh, we, we met at Disney, and we both and we both had uh, Star Trek: The Original Series reference points mm-hmm. to geek at each other with. Yeah. So yes, we See? we understand. We understand <laughs> ourselves. That's how we do it too. So I mean, I'm not kidding. I used to get hurt screaming "Let's get dangerous!" right beforehand. <laughs> you know, I think that 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 was my courage call as a little kid. Was like. Okay, I want to do the jump that the big kid did. I'm going to jump my bike off the sidewalk, but I'm probably going to die. You know what? Let's get dangerous. And then, boom, and then, Mom. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly, that's exactly what we all could have hoped for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> inspiring there, inspiring. Yeah. yeah, so, and the other thing, too, to realize, X-Men ran from 92 to 97. So 97, while we look yeah. back and go, boy, that just seems like a blink. That was five years of Saturday morning uh, television, which which can be pretty critical in a person's life. And then also the the, the then the syndication and the repeat afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. it, it it was in consciousness for a while there. And Margaret Lesh, again credit to her, she kept going from the beginning to the folks at at Marvel and at Fox saying, "You need to make a live action movie." You need to do that. This material is here. You need to do that. And they just, uh, you know, uh, you know, one, one, like every ten years, a Batman movie or Superman movie does okay. I don't, I don't see the numbers. Yeah, it took, and so when they finally <laughs> did it, it had been her. You know, she'll yeah. never get credit for it, but it, it was her, her pushing nudging. that little train up the hill for years, and and then look what happened. Here we are, seventeen years later. Yeah. You know, weeping at the Logan film, the film Logan, and like you said earlier. Anything for Hugh Jackman and his characterization, but for those of us who enjoyed X-Men, the animated series, it wasn't 17 years. It was 25 years of oh, loving exactly. Wolverine and then bringing that with us into the theater when it was time to say goodbye to old man Logan. So, yeah. 
That movie was amazing. I'll tell you what, though, on the actual X-Men movies, I really wish they had found you and your dream team to write the actual movies. Um, I mean, all credit to the actors. You can only work to the script you are written to, but you can tell those movies were written by people who looked at a trade paperback and were like, oh, this one's called this. Um, Let's do that one, and we'll kitch it, and um, don't give them their costumes because nobody's going to love the costumes Never mind the fact that these books have been around since the 60s with the costumes. But um, let's give them all, uh, all black leather and make it really sad for everyone to be a superhero, which seems to be, except for the Avengers stuff, like the DCEU and a lot of the Fox or Sony Marvel stuff, it's all just like, oh, well, golly gee, I got these superpowers. Life's going to suck. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it'd be nice to get them the way you guys did it, and the, you know? So the um oh we have we're talking here about the movies and uh the the beginning of that. Oh, one thing that I took personal pride in was with the coming out of the X-Men movies, the team that they picked cuz 30 years of comic books had been in place and the team had changed constantly. You know, there were a lot of moving parts in what could have been an X-Men team. But the fact that they chose the team that had been that had been used in in the animated series. I took pretty much yeah, pride pretty, in that. Yeah. You know, they changed Rogue up. I mean, they changed them all up. But in terms of the naming, the, the eight yeah. or nine characters, they were from the X Men animated yeah, series. There's stuff, there's stuff we we, yeah. we like in the movies, but I, I think I think the women were stronger in our show. I think they they certainly were. They they haven't quite figured out how to use the women in the movies, and that's a shame. And it wasn't something that we said, let's sit down and write strong women. It was the, the those characters existed in the X Men universe already. The women already had the coolest powers. They could all fly, and Jubilee probably could if she <laughs> learned how to concentrate. But that didn't, that in no way took away from, from Wolverine or Beast or Cyclops that they were strong, that these women were strong and had these powers. It was, just, it was truly um, a, a gender neutral team in terms of, you know, how everyone fought and how everyone worked together, which you would like to think um, would have had more of an impact on, on people these days. But yeah, here we are 25 years later. I mean, we we got it. It was true unforced diversity. Yeah, yeah. It, it it was what everybody screams for today, but gets too hysterical to 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 let us see. It wasn't oh the boy X Men and the girl X Men. It was like okay, Colossus grab Wolverine, fastball special him, and he's gonna do his thing and tear a Sentinel apart. Mm-hmm. Rogue. She's just going to rip it apart with her bare hands, and it's equally awesome on both sides. But you know what was cool about it was it was finally a thing where when you did play on the playground, the girl nerds could turn around and be like, not be like, well, I'll be the girl version of Nightcrawler. No, the girls got to be like, I'm her, I'm her, I'm her. I'm, And it was both sides of, of the playground. Yeah. The boys and girls came together, picked a character, and everybody else who was filling their socially normal roles in elementary and middle school or whatever. You know, girls played over here, boys played over here. Sometimes they met in the middle to pull each other's hair and pass notes. Do you like me? No, no, no. Those open-minded nerdiness of us, though, we were running around in the middle screaming, Rogue, help! And here comes a girl to come help a boy, and nobody thought it was gross or weird. So, I mean... You know, like you guys are a big part of making that happen. That's great. Exactly. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah, it is. It really, really is. Very much so. So thank you for that. Thank you. I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, it, this is how it informed and shaped my my the end of my childhood 
which I think everyone will always embrace. Yeah. And the beginning of who I would be as an adult, which was, you know, everybody's got a place on a team. No matter who they are, what they are, what they can do, what they can't do, there's always a strength. And the team is only as good as how we can uphold them in their weakness until we can use their strength again. I mean, it did it did teach, I think, those of us who actually really loved and embraced the show, a whole generation of us, it did teach, like I said earlier, morality and right and wrong. More than just bad guys should get punched in the face and good guys sometimes always win, but sometimes they hurt a little bit, but sometimes it gets better. It, it was deeper than that. It was a everybody belongs. It was a don't treat somebody as an outcast or a freak because they're different than you, you know? And then it also taught that if they do treat you that way, you still give them human dignity and respect, which is what the X-Men did to the humans that hated them. They still gave them dignity and respect and were willing to put themselves in harm's way to protect them, which may have informed why I joined the army as soon as I turned 18. I don't know, but it was like, you know, that sense of protecting people. Wow. And, you know, it all stemmed from that, honestly. Because it's only you guys and Batman. Yeah. And every other cartoon was a cartoon, you know? And I got more out of... I got more lessons out of X-Men than I did of Batman, I'm just saying. For the two cartoons that treated us like people who could think and reason and ingest story, you were the only two in the neighborhood. The only two stores open in the neighborhood. And... For a lot of us, it informed and really had an impact on who we'd become as people going on, more than just the half-hour drama that you called it. It actually was something that changed who we were and influenced us to be better, quite honestly. Well, seriously. <laughs> no, well, thank you for that. And I, I got to say, the, the the canvas that was X Men, the the comic book universe, there it. What what you got what you and and Mark took into the development of it for television, uh, both both Magneto and Charles had had their position and both felt they were right. And depending on what what lens you looked through, they they were their opinions were valid, you know. And um, in in how how do you approach the the humans who hate us, you know? And then it very it, it very interesting philosophical questions. Yeah, and you and define. The fact that we were allowed to have the two lead, the lead good guy and the lead bad guy, be closest friends who loved each other. Yeah. No other show that I know has allowed anybody to do that. They just they get on their high horse and say, no, no, kids need clarity. Bad guys, bad bad guys need to be super bad and despicable and contemptible, and good guys need to be pure. So don't do, don't give us these gray areas and these friendships, and it just. That's it. Just ruins storytelling for me to to take the ambiguity out. Right. I mean, how heartbreaking is it for Xavier to have to send his team out against Magneto? Yeah. How heartbreaking must it be for Magneto to launch a plan that could potentially harm Xavier's students when he himself helped build the school? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, 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 yeah. You didn't treat us like stupid kids. We we appreciated the dynamics of of the relationship so much because of that. I mean, Wolverine and Sabretooth, if if you get into their history, that's a heartbreaking relationship. Oh, yeah. Oh. You know? um, Or even like just uh, the the sort of joke is pick any of the X-Men that are on the team and and swap their powers out and you don't have the same show. If, If Rogue 
had Wolverine's ability. She would be clam happy because in theory she could touch someone then, but she could scrap him in a fight if she had to with the adamantium claws. Wolverine would have been very happy if he never got to touch another human being again as long as he lived. You know, if he had rogue's powers, you know, right. just, he would be happy being alone around. I mean, everyone had their literal strengths and weaknesses that were particular to each other. And, you know, as they say, you got, story is conflict, but conflict is character. Yeah. And you could say, okay, a box arrives at the, at the mansion and it's unmarked, you know, and name a character and each one would deal with it in a very specific way, you know, that was particular to that character. Um, right, exactly. Swap them out. You know, you had to pay attention. And that was, I think, you know, made for a real positive in, in writing for the show. Yeah. And I th- they weren't I, interchangeable. And I think that was, that was our, our, our strategy from the beginning was to pick stories and to write stories focused on the characters, not on the plots, not on the spectacle. Right. I mean, you, it, to us, it was like, well, you have to have a certain amount of superhero spectacle because viewers are watching. It's like gunfights in a Western. But, but the stories themselves, the best stories were personal stories about one of the characters, like, Wolver- like meeting Nightcrawler and have Wolverine wonder about his lost faith. I mean, that's, can you imagine pitching that to a TV executive saying, well, we're only going to have three or four X-Men in this. There's going to only be a certain amount of fighting, but um, and a Bible, yeah, yeah, and and, and, <laughs> and a Bible and and, Wolver- and it wasn't even like there were religious or unreligious people on staff. They just thought, oh, this would be like a really cool problem for Wolverine to have to deal with because of his character to have to right. confront Nightcrawler, and that was that was the whole reason for that entire episode. We didn't care if they blew up the monastery. We didn't care. <laughs> Who they fought, we didn't care if there was a villain of the week. There wasn't a villain, really, except for some townspeople. The ignorance and the fear. Yeah, some ignorance and fear. Right. Other, as I say, other shows wouldn't let us do that. A much scarier villain, because those villains are real. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, the, the episode with um, where Wolverine takes off. Yeah. And, and uh, is it the, the Inuit village? Yeah. That episode is absolutely amazing for that. Uh, actually, a, 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 an episode based more on inner conflict and emotion, like with Wolverine. That Those, those ones stood out as well. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, anything with the Dark Phoenix saga. Thank <laughs> you guys for doing the Phoenix. Um, to show... Like, I mean, you want to talk about girl power? How about have a girl who could shut down the entire universe yeah. if she's not controlled? You know? Like... <laughs> There, one one production tidbit on that was it Phoenix or Dark Phoenix when the schedule got completely oh, oh, oh. all right so consequences were real and when people died it hurt and it really mattered and it was painful right so, and that was that was that was legit and that was how it was going to be and so and, and as we were getting into the third and fourth season they were having a case, the, there there was a problem with a couple episodes the production company was trying to find a cheaper place to do it and so. Right after we did the Phoenix Saga, the original one, um, mm-hmm. there was an episode where they're grieving for Jean because it seems like she's gone and she's dead and, and, and gone forever. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Cyclops leaves the team because he's so heartbroken. Well, right. that, that episode got delayed two years. Yeah. And yeah. by the end of that episode, they found Jean. So that yeah. was kind of an important 
uh, you know, to be connected to the Phoenix Sire, because now you've got right. 20 episodes where Gene's back, and nobody's explained why Gene's back. So the first people that saw that, and for two years, there was no explanation about why. Yeah. Now, if you watch it on the DVD and you know what, it, what you know, how to put them in order, it, it, it's not a problem. But because of yeah, because of production problems, because they're trying to go cheaper and and save a penny, there were two episodes that I think long shot maybe there were a couple episodes that were like episode thirty something and got delayed to episode sixty something. Yeah. And, Yikes! And that was luckily the audience kind of made up for it or figured they missed an episode or something. They intuited it, but. Um, but in honesty, it, 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 it hurt. It hurt yeah. at the time to realize, oh damn, we've got the, we needed to show them grieving for Jean and to have to find her again, and not, and we can't show it. Yeah, two two years later is a heck of a previously on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, so, well, um, you gave me the the title of the book. Is there? A sampling for people to go find, like how how accessible to people is it? Can they pre-order it? Yeah, because I uh, want everyone to buy this book. Oh yeah, let me tell. Okay. I really do. The name of the name of the publisher is Jacobs Brown, Jacobs Brown Media, uh, and Jacobs Brown is a pop culture. It's a modest sized pop, pop culture publisher. They've got uh, three original Star Trek books out uh, about the making of Star Trek. About, about the the original series. Uh, three books out out of all things lost in space. They've got some other stuff, but so they're, they're a, like a boutique publisher out here in California and you'll be able to buy it like signed copies through their, their website. And once, once, once the book's ready, it'll be on Amazon. It'll be bookstores. Uh, but the way I think probably what will happen is it'll be retail on the website and you'll be guaranteed a, a signed copy. Whereas Amazon will probably do the you know the usual thing of well we'll discount it twenty percent but then it, then it won't be a signed copy uh, and and um, we'll we'll have it we're going to try to go to cons we're hoping to hit cons with this because twenty five years Austin has a nice one <laughs> so anyway yes. we're trying to set up stuff for, for for cons once we know you know the when the book will actually be available um, and and have you know table signings. And, as often, and, 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 yeah. meet, and meet people there. You know, go to one like one a month or so if we can go around the country. Well, we're hoping for right for right now though. Uh, we have a website that's X Men TAS for X Men the animated series. That's how we're abbreviating it. So X Men TAS dot com has a bunch of your blogs, yeah, a I've bunch heard. of back material, a bunch of stuff behind the scenes that we've been finding. And we keep up people about when we know more about when the what the you know, the date the book's coming out and. Um, but yeah, I've got about 130 posts on there. They're either images like storyboard images or stuff people haven't seen or notes from, uh, people that worked on the show. It's all, all from people that worked on the show for the fans. So please go xntas.com. And then also on Twitter, which is how we initially found each other was uh, hashtag xmentas. And we, I, I'm on there posting probably every day or trying to just to get folks in. And then if you get a chance, please go look at the, at the website and, and please be ready. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Have your, have your Christmas money ready. Whenever, whatever time this early fall, the book comes out, uh, they they said, look, we don't care what date specifically, but we're not missing this Christmas season. So it'll be out. No, it'll be out sometime 
this fall, and we're we're est- we're estimating October. Another thing I point out is that you know Star Trek has had the support of Paramount fifty years, and Batman has had the support of Warner Brothers. For X Men the animated series, um, Marvel fell apart financially as this was happening. And, yes, it did. And, That's why they sold off everything. And and now here we are, twenty five years later. No one owns one hundred percent of the rights to the animated series. And Ugh. despite our efforts of reaching out and saying, "Can we'll help put together a Blu ray package? We'll help put together, you know, uh, the, the 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 extras for a DVD release." Not no, interested. Can't find Not anybody interested. interested. I think you know Disney Marvel kind of owns things, but they probably. There's, it's such a huge corporation, they don't know. I mean, And then Fox owns the movie and TV rights. So right, so of, the licensing is in 18 oh, it's just It's just a mess. So for me, this book is, is our attempt to kind of celebrate the 25th anniversary, which the sneak preview is coming up this Halloween, and then January of next year will be when the show rolled out, and that'll be 25 years. So this book, yeah. which he's put two years into... Uh, to me, it's something you know, for the fans, for the folks who, because it, it, you know, it meant so much to us. And if you get a chance, I don't know if you're subscribed to ScreenJunkies.com, but we we kind of uh, we announced the book there about a year ago on, on a, on a one-hour interview uh, uh, on, that they streamed, and so it's still there. If you just if if you have access to Screen Junkies Plus, you can yeah. You can, it's 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 about an hour and five minutes of us talking about uh, the series and. And uh, what went right and what went wrong. Episode 153 yeah. is, is our particular interview. But also they have the hilarious um, Honest Trailers. And when Apocalypse came out, the film, rather than do an Apocalypse trailer at that time, they, they did a, basically a, a, a warm look back at X-Men the Animated Series. And if you haven't seen that yet, go immediately to YouTube and look up Honest Trailers X-Men the Animated Series. Because it is hysterical. I'll- Yes, it is. I love the honest trailer okay. stuff. I really yeah. do. Yeah, those guys are great. They're fabulous. So, yes, please find us at xmentas.com or hashtag xmentas on Twitter. Um, and that's that's where we are these days, hoping to get this, this book nailed down. Yeah, it will all, will all collapse once once the book finally gets to print. <laughs> all, there you all go. And dot all the eyes. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's. I'm telling you, I, I know I'm sure you hear it from people all the time, but it really, really did inform almost an entire generation. It, it, it meant a whole lot. And you have one of the most epic freaking theme songs to anything yes. ever put on TV. And I have a weird OCD tick. And Cal Dodd and I were joking about it, and I almost lost my mind because he actually did the whole theme song. Yeah. Um, the bell needs to be in there. Oh. It, 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 it bothers me if there's no boom toward the end when right. you see X in the chair and yeah. it's pulling back and he's got the boom going on. I yeah, it bothers me without the bell. You guys had the most epic theme song to any show ever. And I'll credit to Will Minio and Larry Houston. When you go and look at it, those are epic opening titles because if you're cold to the show and don't know what's going on, each character gets a visual of, of their powers, their strength. Each character gets the name across it. So, okay, that's, identify that person, identify that person. Then you see a little bit of the conflict and that, that, that epic run at each other at the very end, which I just... Yes. You know. So you get a real sense of what the show is while you're rocking at the world's greatest theme song. So yeah. I always loved Beasts, where he lands and he looks up and the helicopter light comes down and the... Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> Trust me. It's... um. 
that show was so awesome. Oh. Like, just so epically awesome. I mean, all the major points <clears throat> that we talked about that, that mean something, but now that we're coming to the end of the show, all the superficial stuff um, that, that for people who didn't get as into it to still enjoy, the characters were awesome. I loved that that art style for them in the 90s, both in the show and in, and in the book. Yeah. And I really miss it. I've actually had trouble getting into um, some of the X-Men books lately because the art is so different. Those are my X-Men. Yeah. You know, um, the art style for the show and the comics, both. Mm-hmm. Um, when they changed them, I kind of had trouble keeping up with it because it was like, that, that, that that's not my Wolverine. That's not my Rogue. That's yeah. not my Cyclops, you know? Yep. The, the X Men TAS, that's that's our team. <laughs> that's our team, at least. So. Yes, it was. That was the uh, that that was the pinnacle for me of my whole life was was that era of the X Men, and you guys just nailed it. Just nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe maybe if if we can if we can make it to a con in Boston, we'll just we'll keep in touch. Or wherever you are these days. Yeah, I, I grew up in Boston. I'm in Atlanta now. Oh, Atlanta. Um, yeah, I just did MomoCon this weekend. Um, cool news. Got to sit down with Pinky and the Brain uh-huh. who were there. Yeah. Yeah. Rob Rob Paulson and Marisa Lamarche were both there. That that's a half hour that I was that I just didn't think would ever happen. Kind of like this, and like you guys in Cal Dodd. Like some people do a podcast. To, to get famous or to get out there because they're an aspiring this or aspiring that and they think it's an easy way to get noticed. Yeah. My podcast is selfish. If you look at who my guests have been, now it's you guys, the Animaniacs guys, Wolverine, my favorite superhero of all time, all the comic book writers for so like my my podcast is for me and I love sharing it. That's why nothing of mine is ever monetized. I don't want people's money. I want people to to listen to, to, to guys like you, to people like you who, who they may not get to, and like something that was a huge part of their life. They get to escape from everything for a while and just listen to you guys talk and just have this nostalgia-happy hour and a half for their life, you know, and, and because that's what the show is for me, and that's the way I present it. That's why I have no formal questions. Sure. <laughs> I like just talking to you guys. I have an opportunity to talk to people like you who made things that had such an impact on, on so many people, myself included, and just let you guys tell the stories of it and just enjoy listening to, to, to something that meant so much to so many of us. And if you want to know how much it meant to us, every X-Men character that was at MomoCon this weekend, aside from one old man Logan, every cosplay character I saw was your guys' X-Men. Oh, I appreciate that. I, 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 sincerely, every cosplaying X-Men character was y'all's X-Men. Yeah. Okay. That, that's hugely gratifying to hear. Eric sort of teased at it, but you know, our life and as writers, we're basically here at a home office all day. We have not been out in the world a whole lot to sort of mm-hmm. feel the love. So hearing it from you and hearing folks now is, is incredibly gratifying. Yeah. I mean, this, this feels like the kind of payoff we couldn't have imagined. Um, yeah, when we're working. Yeah. Yeah, when, when we first got there, it was just, you know, another job until we realized how, how good it was going to be able to be, and, and then it becomes something more special. But when you're you're a working TV writer, you take you take what's available, and we just, we, we grabbed the gold ring on this one. And thank you for doing so. 
Oh. Honestly, thank you so much. Well, I mean, I can't, I can't. So I could keep you guys <laughs> okay, all Jason. night. Just... Well, look, tell you what, <laughs> either for Dragon Con, I don't know, not this year, but, but oh, is it Momocon? Is the one? But, but is, 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 is Dragon the big one? Dragon Con is, yeah, it's our version of Comic-Con. Momocon is, it's a big con. Uh, they have people everywhere. But it, it's a little more intimate. It's more focused on the communities that like things. It's not so much um, trailers and go, getting to see this exclusive and this. It's more cosplay community comes together. Um, voice actors, more than movie actors, get invited. Oh, great. Well, tell you what. So, so, so that, this is May, so there'll be one next May, right? Yes, sir. Momocon every year. So, uh, so we can, we'll we'll look forward to that. We'll see if we can do we it. May, this is not this is not a done deal, but we may actually have a preview panel at, uh, at in Nashville for the uh, Wizard Expo, in, which will be in September. In September. We don't. Know. I'm close enough to Nashville. Yeah, I was going to say because I and a bunch of the writers are from Tennessee, so that seemed like a natural place to have a preview just before the book came out. So if that works out, we'll let you know. Yes, please do. Most definitely. And for everybody uh, listening, uh, just tell uh, real quick again, where can they find you guys on, on social media? Um, uh, we're, we've got a website at xmentas.com and we're on Twitter basically daily with hashtag xmentas. And that's us there remembering the show, being funny, being silly, and coming up with little bits and pieces for people, trying to connect with folks who have fond memories of the show and letting them know that Previously on X-Men. Who's coming out in October. 25th anniversary book looking back at the making of that show. Oh, my God. Thank you for your time, guys. It was so epic. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Thank you to Eric and Julia Luald for being so open and sweet about the show, for blowing my mind with Disney Afternoon Facts. Uh, Everybody listening, definitely give them a follow on Twitter. And check out their website, xmentas.com. And uh, just remember to make the world a better place one nerd at a time. It's what the X-Men would have wanted, guys. See ya.